Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. Welcome on this Monday to back to the story of Esther, right? Yes. You got it. You got it. On this very beautiful Monday, it's mid-60s outside, dry. She, wow. I just asked you-know-who, and who? she told me it was... Oh, you can't name her. I can't name She her name. who cannot be named, yes. <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> no. It's, uh, it's 62 out. So and tonight the low is forty one. How Isn't that crazy something? is that? That's crazy considering gonna, how hot it was a few days a couple two weeks ago. I'm gonna actually put on shoes tonight for the meeting instead of flip flops. Okay. <laughs> well <laughs> flip flops are an improvement over the barefoot, you know. Yes, I am truly yeah. though, you know, a flip flopper. You're a I flip flopper. I really am. But so. your little toes will get cold. Yep. So um Here we let's are. see. Boy, when we came last Monday uh, what's going on, if we want to call it officially a war or whatever, was going on in Israel. Israel has. Of course, you know, but we know from what we've been told that it's going to get a lot worse yes. before it gets any better. So we've been praying and yes, we've we been in contact with some of the friends we have in Israel, the guides and others that we have, friends we have made over the years yes. when we've been there and we're keeping them in our prayers, which is, you know, the most I think that we can really do right now. Yeah. Um, but they're strong people, that's for sure. They are. They really, really are. And um, it's just resilient. so. It seems like such a God thing that, like, we're doing Esther, which you will you'll see today if you haven't before. My point: if you don't know the story of Esther, you're about to discover the point. I've been saying, wow, what a time to do Esther. So, and of course, Esther was planned out before anything happened a week ago Saturday. Right, right. So, anyway, our God is a surprising God yes, sometimes. Yes, he is. He is. He knows what we need way before we know what we need. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> so, true. Yeah, you could try to plan those things out, and they just don't always work that way. They don't. So, we know some of you who are watching today are signed up, at least signed up for the trip in um, April, and... Um, at this point, nothing has been officially canceled or changed. We've got a trip meeting tonight, so. and, and we're going to do some preparation for the trip. The same thing next Monday. You know, the trip is it's on until it's not. Right. 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 That's just kind of how it is, I think. So, yes. anyway. But, you know, I overheard you and Lauren talking earlier, and um, one thing that Lauren said, which, you know, made so much sense, this is... This is a meeting to learn more about Israel, right. not about the trip. Right. It is about Israel, which um, really is a meeting that would actually help almost anybody. Right, because it's and not really a, like a what to pack meeting. No, no, it's not about, at all. So it's it's getting to know Israel and the scriptures better and bringing those two things right, together. Right, and so, Scott's going to do a little explaining in the in the beginning, also just about where like, we are on the trip itself. Where we are on the trip, and and kind of what's. Well, you have some maps and stuff you're going to go over. Same thing up. I did last Tuesday is what right. she would like. Right, yep. So, just some of the ge ge geography over there. Right. So. So, anyway, we, we will be there. Okay, we sure will be. We will. I hope a good number of the trip people turn out tonight. You too. And um, I hope the Rangers win this afternoon. Yay, they're playing right now. I think they start, well, I think they start at 3.30. Oh, 3.30 I thought it was 2.30, but on the TV oh. guide it said... It said 3.30, so gotcha. I don't know, but gotcha. hopefully they'll win again. It was great last night. That we was watched, exciting. 
a good bit of the game toward it the was. end. It was very exciting. Yes, and I think the meeting will be over tonight before much of anything is really happening in the Cowboys game. So true. You know. Yes, yes. So. I, I, the Cowboys are they're a team I want to watch with with my eyes covered. You know, <laughs> it's just 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 that way. So anyway, okay, very we, good. We hope you all are doing great and enjoying the weather and. We're just so glad that you, you're still here with us on this beautiful day. And Yep. So shall I open us up, up with prayer? I think that would be appropriate. Okay, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back here on this Monday, pulled together by you, by your Holy Spirit, into this fellowship, ready to uh, return to the story of Esther. And uh, please help us to read this and understand this as the Holy Scripture that it is. Um, uh, a piece of writing that the Jews treated as sacred and do we, for it indeed is um, a story that lies at the heart of all Jews. And uh, we Christians, you know, as Paul put it in the book of Romans, a reminder that, you know, yeah, we're part of the tree, but it's the Jews who are the root of that tree. So we just uh, pray that you'll fill us with lots of energy and enthusiasm as we go forward in the next hour. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. I'm going to give you some space here. Okie dokie. So, friends, we are in the book of Esther. We are at the second chapter. I'm going to actually start at verse 17. That's the last paragraph. Uh, we finished that paragraph last week, but it's a good, good bridge. So let's just talk about where we are in this story. When the story opens, let me fix the camera here. I'm all a kilter. When the story opens, you meet King Xerxes of Persia. The Persian Empire is huge. It encompasses basically the known world for these people. And he's throwing this huge banquet the last six months, and then he has another special one at the end, and there's local people there and some are rich and some are not and he decides he wants to trot out his queen vashti who is quite lovely and put her on display for everybody so that they can see one how beautiful she is and then surely arrive at how powerful and wonderful he is but she won't come and so the elders all have this big debate and these old guys say well you know we can't have that happen because if word gets out that Vashti just said no to the king without any repercussions, our wives are going to start saying no to us. So, Vashti ends up being banished to the harem and not given any audiences with the king anymore. And time is passing, and the... Uh, court attendants decide that what they're going to have to do to get the king's spirits back up is have a contest. Basically, a beauty contest. And they're going to go out to the provinces, there are 27 of them, they're going to go out to the provinces and they're going to find the most beautiful young virgin in each of these provinces. And those 25 beautiful young virgins will all come to Susa the capital city, S-U-S-A, and um, there they will be brought to the king uh, day after day, night after night, 
for his judgment, uh, his amusement, whatever. And so these 27 young women all gather in Susa, in the harem, and they're given six months of beauty treatments. Remember that? Six yes. months of beauty treatments. You know, all the good stuff. All that expensive stuff you see sold on uh, TV and behind the counters at, at, at Macy's. And they're given a special diet. They eat, get to eat really nutritious food and everything. So they are looking their best. And we find out in parallel that there is in Susa, the capital city, an old man named Mordecai. And Mordecai is the great-grandson, great-grandson of a man who had to leave Jerusalem in exile when the Babylonians overran Jerusalem. So he was, they, his family, this great-grandfather was brought to the land of Babylonia, which then became the land of Persia, um, and generations have passed, and now Mordecai is there. And Mordecai, um, of course, is Jewish, and he has a cousin. That, that's a relationship. Cousin words in Scripture are often pretty indistinct about the exact nature of what the relationship is. Cousins, first cousins, second cousins, whatever. But there is a young woman who is his cousin and he and whose parents have died and he takes her in as um well like a daughter like a daughter and he raises her her name in hebrew is her jewish name is hadassah in persia her name is esther and as she grows it's obvious that she is so beautiful. And as the writer put it, a fine figure. And she ends up being one of the 27 women chosen to be in this group who are going to try to cheer up um, the king. Now, Mordecai tells her not to... Um, tell anybody that she's Jewish. So no one in the palace, no one in the harem, not the king, nobody knows that she is actually Jewish, a descendant of these exiles from Jerusalem. And as, as it would be when her time comes to go in before the king, she is her usual beautiful self. Everybody adores her. Remember, there's the one guy named Haggai who works in the harem and he takes a liking to her and so she gets all the best of the best of the best of the best and he counsels her and coaches her on how to win the king's favor and all this stuff, right? So she is she is primed and ready when she goes in to see King, the King Xerxes. And sure enough, he is utterly taken with her. Utterly, utterly taken with her. So that's where um, we are at verse 17 in chapter 2. All right, so before I plunge in, did I do okay, Patty, with the warm-up? That was an excellent... Recap? Yes, it really was. It's like on a... 
TV series when you when you get the recap of previously on, yes. right? Yes. Previously on. We like those. Yes, we, we do. Actually, I'm old enough now I need those. Even if we watched it the night before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's so, so confusing. We need it if we watched it the hour before. That is very true. <laughs> so, all right. So here, this is this big moment. Verse 17 of chapter 2. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, the other 27 women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles, all his officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality, royal generosity. Wow, wow, wow. Queen Esther now. Okay? So, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. This is the gate leading into the palace. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow, follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Okay? And um, remember, I think we this is already part of the story that, that she is now in the harem and Mordecai would walk up and down outside the window and, and they would, enabling them to communicate and to talk because that's going to be a, a key part of the story. That That's how they're... That's how they're doing it. Now, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Whoa. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. You know, there's different ways to execute people. Those who do such things as attempt to assassinate the king are going to get a very public execution that everybody's supposed to see and they are supposed to suffer and it's supposed to be visible. So these two are impaled on poles, which are presumably erected then in the, uh, uh, probably the central square. Wow, impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the Book of the Annals in the presence of the king. Now that seems like an unimportant sentence, doesn't it? All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. But we need to hang on to that sentence. So, please do so. Chapter 3. We're about to meet another one of the key players in this drama. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman 
son of Hamadatha, the Agakite, elevating Haman and giving Haman a set of uh, a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. Now I I don't it doesn't we don't he doesn't go on into a lot of detail about what Haman's done, but obviously he's kind of the king's right hand guy, and he's going to get this special place of honor above everybody else in the kingdom, right there with the king. Verse 2, all of the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. Wow, that is a big statement. Mm -hmm. Because the only people that, the only person people would typically bow down to in this way is the king himself. So this is there to show you just how important, important Haman is. Okay. They all knelt down and paid honor to Haman for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Well, that's kind of out of left field. So, we're told right off that everybody is bowing down to Haman and, you know, the king has ordered this and they're all sucking up to Haman and the rest of it, but not Mordecai. That's old Jew who won't do it. Why do you think he won't do it? As I'm guessing he won't kneel to anybody but to God. Yeah, that's what I think. Mordecai would not kneel down or pay, even pay him honor. Verse 3. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, well, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. Okay, so now that cat's out of the bag. So the, the officers at the gate go and tell Haman that there's this Jew out here by the front gate, and he's not bowing down to you when you pass through the gate on your way out. He's just standing upright. He's not doing what the king ordered, Haman. What are you going to do about it? Verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Wow, this is timely. Yeah, you see, he's like it's like he's a moss, right? Who's not dead? Yes, and his name is Haman instead of Haman. You know what I'm saying? Is Haman and Haman and Hamas. Yes. Yeah, I see that, and I haven't thought about that before. But you got I, I, there can't be any connection in the mind of Hamas. But, but yeah, wow, wow. So you can see why I was so. So shocked when I realized, of course, that we were going to start Esther last Monday. Um, and knowing what Hamas's stated constitutional goal is, which is the eradication of all Jews and the nation of Israel. 
Um, you know, this is this is what this is Hitler's final solution. He killed six million Jews in trying to accomplish his final solution. And here is Haman, determined to go after not only Mordecai, being deeply offended by Mordecai's unwillingness to bow down to him, but also every Jew throughout the whole kingdom. And the kingdom under here's the map. Here's the map. This, well, <laughs> oh boy. Here we go. All right. There we go. The yellow, remember nobody cares about the pink because it's just sand. The yellow is, is the Persian Empire. It's everything. This would encompass almost all the living Jews anywhere. They're all now the target of whom? Haman, this powerful man, this man who's got the, the deep favor of the king, Patty, could you turn off that heater for me, please? Sure I'm getting getting too warm. I have I've had the heaters on and off a little bit in here in here today, but anyway. So wow, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, so we are now. For I went back and checked, actually. In the beginning of the story, it's the third year of King Xerxes. So we are nine years past the banquet. That's how much time has passed in all of this. You know, the king moping around and then having the contest and getting the, the virgins and fixing them up and then Esther becoming queen and, and then the events with the guys that the, the guys who are going to assassinate the king. Anyway, it's all taken nine years because we are now in the 12th year of the reign of King Xerxes. In the first month, the month of Nisan, the, pu the pure, that is the lot. That P-U-R is simply the word for lot, like dice. Something, okay? The pure, the lot, the dice, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month for what? The eradication of the Jews. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, in the month of Adar. So we are now in the first month. In the twelfth month, these are these are lunar months. In the twelfth month, that is when the day is going to come. That the Jews are to be eradicated throughout the entire Persian Empire. Alright. You still have the map on. Okay, map still on. Don't need the map anymore. Lots of yellow. Thank you, Betty. Well... I mean, just, you know, you it, it's a kind of thing where you could read this and you could say, well, people couldn't be that evil. Ha. We can look at Hamas today, but we don't have to look even just at Hamas today. We just have to go back to the Germans, the German folk of less than 100 years ago. It's it's staggering, you know. I you you I remember kind of growing up and beginning to understand something about the world and reading about the the Holocaust and just wondering what well how could this be? How how could how could the German people allow such a thing to happen? How could anyone 
participate in such a thing as bodies and people being gas and their bodies shoveled into to ovens and the how could that be but then i saw what happened a week ago saturday and i see all the hamas sympathizers who how could that be i saw a crowd of video, video recordings this is a genuine video recording of a crowd outside the sydney opera house last in the last four days chanting get this chanting Gas the Jews, F the Jews. Gas the Jews, F the Jews. F the Jews, F the Jews. Gas the Jews, gas the Jews. And I'm still dumbstruck. And I guess it shows just how deep the darkness of sin can reach into the human heart and how much people can give themselves over to obvious evil. Well, there's not any ambiguity. There's no any. There's not any ambiguity with Haman. I mean, I told you Esther was a melodramatic story. There's no ambiguity in the story of Esther. Right? There's no this and that and some sort of moral equivalence. And there's none of that. He doesn't like Haman, and so he's going to set about to exterminate all the Jews in the empire. And you look at what, what Hamas did just eight days ago, and there's no ambiguity. It's just, you're just staring into the face of evil. And I told you when we started this that the festival around around this story um, is a kind of a carnivalesque festival because it's kind of like the only way to live with it, perhaps, is is to is for a horror that the Jews have lived through over the centuries. Not just in nineteen, not just in the nineteen forties, but over the centuries, um, they ha you have to have ways to deal with that horror. And I guess Purim, the festival, is 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 one way. So Haman now has his target, and he's got a date in the twelfth year of King Xerxes in the month of um, Adar. <coughs> All right. So verse eight. So Haman then goes to King Xerxes. And he says, there is a certain people hmm, dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Now, there would be some truth to that. The Jews did tend to live separately from the people around them because they led unusual lives. They didn't work on Saturday. They didn't eat pork and all these things. That if you come forward, uh, well, back, come forward, you know, 450 years to the time of Jesus, it's still the case. In the time of the Jesus, the Jews lived in communities um, and generally apart from the world around them because they didn't blend in. They had their, what were in the eyes of the world, other all the pagans who were virtually everybody, very weird and unusual practices. So 
So yes, they do keep themselves separate. Haman goes on. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. Well, that may be with respect to certain laws. I'm thinking of the story of Daniel and his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who refused the Babylonian king's instructions to, to worship this giant statue that he, of himself that he has made. But for many of the king's laws, I'm sure they did obey them. Um, Jeremiah had written a letter to the uh, exiles in Babylon, and he said to them, you know, okay, God's going to bring you back. God has plans for you. But for now, make your homes, raise your children, live at peace with your neighbors. All very, very sensible advice. So Haman is taking some truths about the Jews in Persia and blowing them up into untruths, which is the best way to lie, right? The best way to lie is to begin with a kernel of truth and weave that into a lie. So their customers are different from all those of all other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So Haman is one rich guy. And so he tells the king, okay, we need to get rid of them. You, you should not tolerate them anymore, but I know it's asking a lot, and I'm going to make a big donation into the king's treasury if you will do this. So earlier today, <laughs> I got the idea in my head to figure out how much money this was in today's dollars. Um, now, it's estimated to be Oh, gosh, don't try to repeat this yourself because I may not get each number in it right, but I remember the conclusion. That was correct. 375 tons or something like that, yes. I think. Yes. Okay. Times 2,000 pounds per ton times 16 ounces per pound times $23 per ounce. I ask, you know who, she who cannot be named. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What the current price of silver is, as she told me, 23. And so when I multiplied all that out, and I think I did it right, came up with $276 million. Wow. Yeah. It was a lot then, and it is a lot now. You know, in, in Scripture, when you come across a number like 10,000 talents, it's just an unimaginable sum. It doesn't really represent, it doesn't in the New Testament, it doesn't in the Old Testament, it doesn't really represent some actual calculable, put it in the bank sum. It's a sum that is just so huge. So huge, you can't even imagine it. And see, it's more than melodrama. I'm going to put 10,000 talents of silver into the treasury, says Haman. If you will do this, dear king. So, verse 10. So the king took a signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadeth the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money. Pfft. 
<laughs> guess the king's got a few bucks too. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Now, this signet ring is a big old fat ring, kind of like a class ring, but it would have the king's seal on it. And so, thing correspondence that goes out from the palace, sealed with his seal, sealed with his signet ring, are all ways of making sure that what goes out from the palace is coming from the king. And now he's turned that power, that, you know, ability over to Haman. Xerxes... Xerxes seems kind of kind of out of it, doesn't he, Patty? He does. He doesn't ask him any questions. He doesn't grill him on this. Does he really trust Haman that much? I don't know. You know? I don't either. I don't know if he's getting old and... I don't think in real life, at this, you know, the 12th year in his reign, I forget what years exactly Xerxes, this Xerxes reign, but... I don't think he's like getting dementia or something okay. at this point. But I guess maybe, you know, we're just supposed to see the king as being... he. The king is really this... He isn't really a main character, right? He's just a means to accomplish certain things. Haman is a main character. Mordecai is a main character. Esther is a main character. The king, not so much. He just listens and he lets Haman do what he wants. So... Anyway, do with the people as you please, the king says. Then, on the 13th day of the first month, now that's when all this is happening, in the first month, right? This month of, of Nisan, or however you would say it. On the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. Now, these would be literate people who would be skilled in writing clearly conserving the um, papyrus that they would write on or whatever other writing surface they had. Most people used papyrus. So they wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to his king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples because Persia is an empire, so it's composed of a diverse number of different peoples, nations, who have their own cultures and their own languages, and, and Haman is seeing that it's all very carefully done. Everybody gets, gets the communication in such a way that they can read it. It's going to be very clear, very um, well professionally done. Mona suggests the king is too busy too busy with his virgins to be concerned much. That's as good an explanation as any right there, Mona. <laughs> <laughs> so these were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. So that's, you know, so you sign it Xerxes, you put the signet ring on it in the wax, I guess. It's wax and off they go. It's a official communication from the um, from the emperor himself. Verse thirteen: Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. 
you know, in light of what happened with Israel, this is, there's a level of seriousness to this story that I've never had when I've come to taught this story in the past. Those were Hamas's marching orders eight days ago. Destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. On a single day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods, to steal their stuff, to get, to take away what they owned. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that they would be ready for that day. Wow. So now that day is set and the people are to get themselves ready for that day when the empire and the people in the, on the, in the empire will all fall upon the Jews. Verse 15, the couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa, the capital. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. You pretty much know they were. I mean, the Jews had been there for, okay, Mordecai is one of the exiled Jews' great-grandson. The Jews left Babylon, the last group, in 586 B.C., 100 years after that, 120 years after that now. We don't know how old the great-grandfather was. He might have been a small small child when he was brought to Babylon, which is now which is now Persia. So let's just call it a century. So for a century, these Jews have been living in and amongst with along living separately, but still alongside the communities of these other peoples the Babylonians and the Persians and the rest, and the people in the capital get this instruction that in like in the passing of 11 lunar months, they are supposed to descend upon the Jews and annihilate all of them. Of course they're bewildered. Yeah, they, they don't know that one little guy... One guy. Was, one guy named Haman. Haman. Was is behind dissed, all of this. and he, Because he was being dissed by... One Jew. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. So, thoughts or questions, people out there? Wow. Really the, the king and Haman sat down to drink. They're drinking buddies. Right? But the city of Susa was bewildered. All right, so chapter four. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. Those are all marks of grieving, mourning, 
tearing of the clothes, the sackcloth and ashes, the wailing and weeping. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So they are grieving their pending doom, and they are not allowed in to make appeals to request an audience. They can't even get in through the gate to request an audience, to request some explanation, to find out how has this happened? Why? 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 Little do they know, it's simply because of one man's hatred. Haman's simply because of one man's hatred and the king's indifference. It never says the king has any really anything against the Jews. He's just, you know, this is his drinking buddy. He's just indifferent. Um, I remember a long time ago learning, I guess, really, that you know, the opposite of love isn't really hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Indifference as to whether this person is alive or dead, here or gone or not. Indifference. Indifference. And that's the king. And the king has sent out his orders. We don't learn, of course, anything about how it might have been received, such a thing would be received in the provinces and so forth. But um, I would imagine with the same bewilderment. But the orders are orders, right? You got to follow orders. So the Jews are all in mourning, verse 3. Verse 4. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. Remember, nobody in the palace knows about Mordecai. Nobody knows that she is a Jew herself. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of a sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Do you think Mordecai felt guilt Do you think he perceived that his angering of Haman is the cause of this? That he angered a man who could have such power and hatred in himself that this is the result? I don't know. But he won't accept the clothes and put them, put them on. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to a tender, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. She doesn't really know what's going on. How would she know what's going on? Remember, she lives, she lives, I should explain it. She lives her life in the harem. If you have a big palace, you have a big wing of it that is the harem. And it is walled in, 
and the windows are covered with something enough to make sure that the women in the harem stay there and nobody is sneaking in because that's where they live their lives. That's where they live their lives. All at the king's bidding. That's where they live their lives. So she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know about the note and the instruction and all that kind of thing. So she sends one of the eunuchs, who is one of her personal attendants, as the queen. Remember, she's the queen. She still lives in the harem, but she is the queen for whatever that's worth. Verse 7, Mordecai told Hathak everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in to the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. We're not, I don't think we're, um, well, we don't know how Mordecai would know that. No, but, but he also gave Hathak a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa. Okay. To show to Esther and explain it to her, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with the king for her people. Wow. So, Mordecai gives a copy of it to take back to Esther, and then he gives these instructions that she is to go into the king's presence and put it into this. Plead for the lives of her people. Of course, the king doesn't know that she's Jewish. If the king knows that she's Jewish, will she then simply be caught up in this annihilation herself? That's the question. I mean, the king has already decreed that all the Jews have to die. All that's missing is him understanding that that includes Queen Esther. Yeah, it could be that her punishment would even be worse because, right? I mean, she could be. knew him on such a different level than the average Jew living there would. You know, he'd feel exactly. so deceived. So Linda Waldo wonders why no one picked up that she was related to Mordecai. Well, um, we have to assume that they were pretty secret circumspect about any chatting through a window, but otherwise, how would they? I mean, there's no, there wouldn't be an easy way to do that. They've hidden their connection. Um, there's no big databases, of course, or anything like that. I just don't think that that would be, it's not surprising to me that if Esther hasn't said anything about it, Mordecai hasn't said anything about it, that people don't know, especially in the palace. They're not part of the Jewish community. Some of the Jews might know, but they're, I don't think they're going to reveal. They're not going to squeal on Esther. Um, otherwise, the Gentiles in the city, they, they might not have any good way of knowing, but good thought, Linda. So, verse 9. Hathak went back, and he reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, verse 11, 
All of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So, Hathik, who has now become this messenger back and forth between him, she says to him, to Hathik, you need to tell Mordecai that if I'm not called by the king and I just sort of march in, the penalty for that is death. Wow. And I haven't been called in to see him for 30 days. Now, the only way the death could be avoided is if I went in and the king raised his gold scepter to me. But that's a pretty big risk, <laughs> right? Right. The king might not wait for that. She, you know, so so she's in a pickle now, caught between Mordecai and the king, really. Though the king is sort of a passive player. There are things Mordecai wants her to do that are dangerous. And the most dangerous is just trying to go in to see the king when she has not been called for by the king. All right. Is that clear, Patty? Yes. Okay. Verse 12. Now, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. So this is this whole two-way dialogue we're getting, kind of. Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Now, why does he say that something's going to put a stop to this? Whom does Mordecai trust to see that this plan doesn't reach fruition? God, I the unspoken, yes. the unspoken one, God. Remember, yes. I said God's yeah. name doesn't appear yes. in the Book of Samuel, but that's whom Mordecai is talking about. It will be God who will see that we are spared somehow. Somehow. If you remain silent this time, we're still going to be spared. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Who knows? But that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's the most famous sentence in the book of Esther. Who knows, Esther? but that you have come to this position at this time, the Queen of Persia, Queen Esther, for a time such as this. And who would be behind this um, plan, this orchestration of people and events? God that God is somehow, in some way, moving things to, to have Esther in that position at this time. 
able to confront Haman's treachery and hatred and uh, desire for genocide. So that famous line, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, we don't always know how our lives are going to work. I mean, I remember being young and thinking I was in you know, control of a great many parts of my life. And as I've gotten older, I realize that there's all sorts of forces working on us. We have much less control than we might think or that we might like. And God does intervene and God does move things towards God's purposes. And I can't tell you always when, um, and how, but Mordecai's right. Perhaps, Esther, perhaps you are where you are for just this moment. Just this moment. That's why you're that's why you're Queen Esther. That's why this whole crazy story of the contest and all the rest of you. That's why, Esther. So you could be there right what you are, right where you are at just this moment. Anyway, underline that sentence. That's like I said, it's the most famous one in Esther. I think most preachers have preached on that before. I know I have some years past. Well, verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast from me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So for three days, the Jews in the city of Susa are supposed to gather. They're going to fast. Surely they're going to pray. She is going to do the same thing. And after the three days are, have passed, she will go in. She will risk her life going in. She might well perish. She might well perish. Well, chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. She's so beautiful. He hasn't seen her in 30 days. She brightens up every room she walks into. He's pleased with her. He's glad to see her. And he held out to her the golden scepter. He invites her in. Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it'll be given to you. Well. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king 
together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Oh my, Esther has a plan. She has a plot. She does. She is going to honor Haman at a banquet. If it pleases the king, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Not the king, for Haman. It's to honor Haman, the same man whom the king has been honoring. Oh, wow. Okay. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. Wow. This is just, this is just honor piled upon honor, recognition upon recognition, on on top of another, all for Haman. He's just sucking it up like an electromagnet sucks up nails, just one on top of another. And now Queen Esther is rolling out the red carpet for the man. Whoa. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now, Esther, what do you want? What's your petition? What do you want me to do? Figuring there must be something she wants him to do. It'll be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be granted. I mean it. Ask for half the kingdom. It's yours. Right? Second time he's made that offer. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Well, that's quite a puzzlement there, isn't it? So it's basically like, what's it like? She goes to the king and says, hey, I want you and Haman to come to lunch with me. I'll have it all set up. It'll be delicious. And so they get there, and all she's willing to say is, okay, okay, what I, what I want you to do next is I want you to come to this big, lavish dinner I'm going to throw for you the next day. That's kind of what it's like. Oh, sorry. And, this is a reminder. And what are they going to say? But yes. So Lynn Lawton said, The difficulty is seeing God's work at the present time in our lives. It's much easier to deduce that when you are looking back. That's true, Lynn. You know, it's why my silly little way of trying to do this is when something good happens in the present time. I'll ascribe that to God. When something bad happens, I'll usually take the blame myself. I, it's simplistic and it's kind of stupid because many things happen that I don't have control over. But anyway, yeah, all right. We really, it's like you have to like train yourself. Okay, so does it strike me that it's just a coincidence that I started the book of Esther two days after the horrors in southern Israel inflicted by Hamas? I would say no. You know, I was sitting around here a few weeks ago in my office trying to think of what I wanted to do next. 
and it was, it came to me to do Esther. How did it come to me to do Esther? No particular reason to do Esther. There's 65 other books in the Bible I could do. Maybe 64 if I didn't instantly repeat Mark. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. I decided on Esther. And then, boom. It's perfect. It's perfect for right now. How is it that I... I two months ago, three months ago, I decided to do the World Religion Series in my Sunday class. Just plot it out of the week, schedule them all up, boom, 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 boom. No problem, I pulled out my little handy-dandy calendar, wrote them all down, figured out what's got to ha happen when. Okay, we're going to start Islam on October 15th. How did that happen? That I would talk about Islam, you know, just um, in, after this horrible attack. How, how does that come to be? So, um, I don't know. I, 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 I try to see God at work in my life every day in ways large and small without thinking that I'm a, some kind of puppet. Because I don't think I'm a puppet. I think my free will choice, my, my choice to love, to love God is a real choice. And, and, um, but Lynn's point's good, you know. Lynn just also wrote that the St. Andrew um, Book Club that meets on Wednesday is doing a book that is called I Shall Not Hate, written by a doctor in Gaza. Huh. That's interesting. So see, that See, you? there you go. That's, that came out months and months and months ago, probably, to read that book. Could I had a lot of books on the schedule at this time. I don't know. I guess I kind of do know, I guess, I think. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Esther says to the king, all right, you and Haman came to lunch with me. Now, what I want is just one thing. Uh, right now, I just, all I want you to do now is commit to coming din to dinner tomorrow night. We'll have a nice, ba nice banquet, nice meal, and I will tell you what I really want then. Okay? So Haman, look, verse 9, Haman went out that day happy. Of course he did, in high spirits. Now he's being honored by the queen, the most beautiful woman in the whole kingdom, the whole empire. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. He wants Mordecai to fear him because he is an important and powerful man. Haman is. And you need to tremble when he walks by. He doesn't want your respect. He doesn't want your love. What he wants is your fear. Verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and he went home. Calling together the friends, his friends, and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. 
Quote, and that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person, the only one, Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction. <coughs> as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. This is a... Haman is a guy who has given himself over to black hatred. A hatred so deep and strong, it's like it's a physical presence. All these good things happening around him that he sees. But there's that one Jew. He won't honor me and he won't even fear me. And he can't stand it. And he is enraged. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, because they were a gruesome bunch, ghoulish bunch, have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits. A cubit's about 18 inches. So this would be 50 feet, 75 feet high. And asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. See... At, at base, the worst things that we do happen because we see others as not human. Not just unlike ourselves, not even human. Less than human. What a wife, though, and what friends. What they a are wife, as bad as and he what is. friends. Yeah. You know, this is, this but the they don't see Mordecai as a human, right? Yeah. He's just this object um, of their husband and father's hatred, and they're perfectly happy to see this piece of meat impaled on a tall pole. Um. So she asked him, asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on this pole. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman. What a wonderful idea for the morning. And I'll go to this banquet and have a wonderful time. And he had the pole set up. So he orders that this giant pole, I guess, I'm not sure what to picture actually, I guess I picture a pole with a sharp end to it or something set up out there in, I don't know, city square or something. And uh, he's going to get that set up. He's, uh, you know, he's picturing in his mind's eye Mordecai being impaled on that pole and just hanging up there. I mean, it is ghoulish beyond ghoulish. 
not more ghoulish than some of the things atrocities committed in southern Israel, but ghoulish nonetheless. Ghoulish nonetheless. So when we come back next week, we will see the honoring of Mordecai. The honoring of Mordecai. Oh, he is. Um, uh, and the, the turn of events on Haman. But... Just remember the story of the two, the two guards who planned to assassinate the king, a plan discovered by Mordecai, and it was written down in the king's annals. So all of that's going to going to come to play next week. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's really a good story. Yeah, because you know, I like I like melodramatic stories. I realize there's great novels that are not everything has to be melodramatic, but I'm I'm not turned off by melodrama. I like it when the good guys are really good and the bad guys are really bad. I don't know. There we go. But you're right. It's a good story. It's sacred scripture. It is. Yeah. 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 And it's a sacred. It's sacred. Why is it sacred scripture? Because the story of a person seeking to annihilate the Jews is a story that the Jews had to live through so many times. So many times. Look at the Assyrians in 722 BC, the Babylonians in 587 BC, right? So many times. So Yeah. The okay. Romans. The Romans and then after. Yeah. You know, and the various pogroms and stuff in Europe during the while the assembling of the Crusades, Christians mm -hmm. Christian, I'm not going to call them Christians, people in the name of Christ collected and murdered hundreds and thousands of Jews. Hundreds and thousands. I don't know but there were hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of Jews. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Come Lord Jesus. That's Come Lord Jesus. Saying. Maranatha. Man. Alrighty. Alrighty. Well, we hope you all have a good rest of the day. Yep. And uh, we'll be heading up to St. Andrew soon. Yes, we will. So, just going to close us out in prayer. Uh, we hope those of you who come on Tuesday, we'll see you tomorrow, or those of you who can watch online, 12 o'clock. Yeah, back to Second yes. Samuel, back yes. to David and his problems. Yes. I'll be running in by the skin of my teeth because I'm going to have a second act meeting. Absalom, oh, Absalom. All righty. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you once again for this time we set aside to study your word. And God, you sure did give us a whole, as Scott always says, a whole bunch of different books inside the Bible. And this is just a great, great story with an important message. And we, we thank you for this book of Esther. It's so different from anything that we've been doing. And um, it's, it's, it's just very enjoyable as uh, we learn. We pray, God, that you would hold us close in the coming days. And, Lord, we pray for Israel. We really do, God. We pray for your peace that passes all understanding, Lord. We pray, that God, that you would hold those in your hand, in your arms, God, those that are suffering, those that are so scared today, those that don't know if the future is going to hold, Lord. And let your peace that passes understanding, all understanding, God, just pass through them. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Okay. Adios, everybody. Bye, guys. See you tomorrow. Okay, so. Yes, Louise, you're so right. You're so right.